It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to the CHGO White Sox podcast coming to you live remotely. Uh, I'm your host, Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. Herb and Vinny are on vacation, so we wish them, uh, you know, uh, cold drinks. I don't know. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at CHGO underscore White Sox. And uh, we are uh, being produced today by Greg Braggs Jr. And since Vinny and Herb are out, I am very happy to be joined by Maliki Hayes. Uh, you can find their work over at Southside Sox, uh, Baseball Prospectus, and Pinstripe Alley. And we're mainly talking about your piece on Luis Robert Jr. and how he's turned into this, uh, as you said, baseball god. Uh, and the only reason why uh, he's not, you know, MVP is because there's a guy doing uh, baseball actual god stuff in, in Shohei Otani. But you can follow Maliki on Twitter at Pintard Keyboard. It's great to finally talk to you. It is great to finally talk to you, especially since, uh, yeah, the last time I was here, we had our kind of uh, Franken panel of uh, myself, Vinny, and uh, Adam Hogue, guest to know from the Bears <laughs> show, which was a fantastic time. But, uh, you know, we've we've exchanged pods a few times, so it's 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 good to good to connect with the White Sox. Yeah, finally, finally uh, collide. <laughs> uh, we were uh, we talked on shagging flies before too. Uh, so uh, me, me, you, and Ben, right? Uh, so you know that was a, a good time. So glad to to meet back up uh, again. You could read uh, Maliki's work over at Southside Sox, um, and the latest piece is about Luis Robert Jr. Um, and the small adjustments he's made. Um, a lot of different interesting thing things, a lot of inside baseball that we could talk about. But we just talked about this yesterday. He's the only reason to watch the Sox in the second half, right? At, at this point, I mean, other than if they kind of go against all odds and actually decide to cut bait on folks like Elvis Andrus and decide that the you know that the Gavin Sheets experiment in right field is not working, and they actually you know let Lenin Sosa or uh, or um, you know Oscar Colas or, or some of the more interesting, even maybe Jose Rodriguez, some of the guys in the upper minors who might be interesting, uh, get a little bit of run. That's more interesting than the guys who we know are not good. So you know maybe they surprise us there but I'm, I'm not holding my hopes up it's the it's the Luis robert jr show for sure. yeah we've been calling them uninspiring but uh this guy isn't um we, we've seen the kind of turnaround since may 1st um and i thought it was interesting the way that you thought it was a, a lot of mechanical stuff we hear pedro uh saying that Luis is getting in a lot of work but we also hear that he's going to his own uh hitting instructor and it it seems like it is paying off just because we are now seeing, as you laid out in the article, um, a differing of stances. But we've also seen a lot of different stances from Luis Robert uh, throughout his career from 2021 to 2023. So it seems like he's finally found something that's comfortable. 
yeah, something that's comfortable and something that's letting him, you know, get to get the most out of the tools that made him one of the most exciting prospects in baseball and that gave him those flashes of, of superstardom over the last few years. Although it's, pro- it's probably worth noting that it, it feels like there's kind of a pattern here of a Sox player breaks out and then we find out that the uh, the engineering behind that breakout actually has nothing to do with the White Sox organization. You know, thinking of Lucas Giolito going back to uh, his roots back before the 2019 season with his uh, mechanical overhaul, um, you know, Dylan Cease's yeah, the increase in his slider confidence last year, which uh, another another podcast appearance of ours last year, in which I, I very confidently de- declared that the uh, Dylan C. Cy Young candidate uh, talk was was very very overblown. Um, but that you know it tracks. Yeah, it tracks. There's clearly adjustments being made, and they're being made at a quicker pace than what we usually see out of out of struggling hitters in the organization. Yeah. And you made the the note that. You know, he was very open uh, to start the season. And what we saw even in 2021, uh, and this was noted from uh, Luke Hooper uh, via Fangraphs after the 2021 season, uh, was that pre-injury in April of 2021, he was very closed off like we're seeing now. And then post-injury, August 14th to the end of the year, we see this drastic opening up of his stance and Luke notes uh, pre-adjustment post-adjustment against fastballs which again is what you were looking at today so I find it very interesting that um, he's had success both ways against fastballs but uh, pre-adjustment in 2021 his batting average was 241 against fastballs post-adjustment a cool 404 Uh, his uh, pre-adjustment slugging was 352 uh, post-adjustment against fastballs 727 Um, his exit velocity went up about three miles per hour as well Um, but now we see the, the the closeness that you note in your article um we've noted that he's just playing a lot more games uh and, and you noted the, the comfortability but i mean he is shortening up the stride he is being more compact um what does this allow a hitter to do and i think does this help mainly with outside fastballs yeah I, the the comparison for me that comes to mind, it, it doesn't seem super intuitive off to bat, but John Carlos Stanton and the adjustments that he's made over the course of his career, something that comes to mind is that here's a dude who has uh, a huge amount of raw power, as much raw power as you see as just about anyone in the game. I mean, Luis isn't quite at Stantonian levels of that because uh, just about nobody else but but him is. But the same kind of principle applies where uh, if, if you have a lot of movement going on, and you're not very healthy, you're not going to move very efficiently, you're not necessarily going to move very quickly, and you're going to have trouble um, you know, just consistently getting the bat to where you need it to be. So if you look at the progression of Stanton's batting stance over the past four or five years or so, where he's had kind of the, uh, the opposite progression here, where he started out relatively open, relatively even, and has uh, slowly morphed into you know, a, a almost famously closed stance where he's you know, almost turning his back to, to the pitcher. And the reason that he's doing that is because he's huge. He's got long levers, but he's got a lot of power. And he needs to simplify those movements so that his swing, you can see it, is basically just poop, you know, get all those moving parts out of there, get to the good stuff. And I think it's the same kind of principle applying here where, uh, you know, especially after another two years of injuries, especially lower body injuries, um, you know, nagging lower body injuries that have taken him out for for half of the season in, in a couple of cases, um, you know, you slow down a little bit, you that that open stance that might help you 
approach-wise that might help you be a little bit more aggressive, that might help you actually get into the stride of your swing a little bit more at, at one point in your career, might actually come back to haunt you later on where, you know, it may be, you know, you've had a couple of years where your legs aren't under you as much as you want them to be. So you start moving back in the other direction. And instead of, you know, you still got the leg kick is there, uh, you know, his bat path hasn't really changed a whole lot. Uh, but just by taking away those extra little precious milliseconds where he has to, um, you know, it tense himself up, untense himself up, you know, sorry, tense himself up, untense himself, and then get his hands going at the same time that he's getting his lower half going, you know, that, that syncretism, that, that kind of synchronicity there wasn't happening earlier in the year. So you make that adjustment where close yourself off a little bit. It's not a universal thing. It's not going to work for every single hitter. Um, but that's helping him get out in front more, you know, instead of getting his foot down just a fraction of a second later because it's starting all the way back here, he's getting his front foot down in time that he could actually use his lower half and turn, get his heel off the ground, really get that rotational power from his hips and from his core. And that being the case, he's not late on fastballs anymore on the upper half. I think the first um, in, in the article you're referring to, I used a gif of a, a 93 mile an hour fastball last year from Drew Hushison, who is a not in the majors anymore for a reason. Uh, it's it's not because he doesn't play because he doesn't play the White Sox every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, look when you're when you're getting cut by the dregs of the AL Central, it's probably time to it's probably time to 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 go back to school, so to speak. But, hey, and yet here the White Sox uh, are picking up Tuki Toussaint from the Guardians and and. Mike Mike Mayers from the, Mike from the Royals. Mike Mayers, Mike Mayers. <laughs> oh boy, I can't wait to see 20, 25 appearances out of him the rest of the way. Um, but but yeah, that's that's the difference it makes. I mean, when it comes to hitting, we're talking about not even milliseconds, you know, just fractions of a second are what makes a difference between making good contact out in front of the plate, which is when you're going to get to power because you have more time for your swing to build up momentum and make contact with the ball uh, than you do if you're hitting the ball back here, which is why it's a lot harder to hit for power to the opposite field than it is to the pull side, which is why uh, the conventional wisdom these days is to get to your power, you need to pull the ball. And he was, for a large part of last year, whether it was due to mechanics, injuries, those two things are always intertwined. Uh, he wasn't getting those pitches on the outer half because he just wasn't getting his bat head out in front of the plate enough he was late and he was still making good contact on some of those pitches uh you know shooting them the other way sending them up the middle for singles but he wasn't hitting them for power he wasn't getting them in the air to the pull side i mean this is a guy who we just saw three days ago flicking 475 foot lasers in a park with dead air where the ball doesn't really carry without hardly breaking a sweat the power is there so you know if he got to a point mechanically then where He's not behind everything where he's getting his foot down early enough. So he's getting that pivot from his core and on his backside. So he's actually in front of the plate where he's making contact with the ball instead of being over the plate or even behind it. That's how you get those lasers to dead center field and to the pull side where, you know, it's an outer half fastball in the, in the high nineties. That's not something that most hitters are able to do damage on. Yeah, and and he has been. I mean, I mean again, it's just kind of showing the MVP uh, level talent that he does have. And you noted in your uh, article just the launch angle 
on all of those outer half forcing fastballs. And, you know, you really didn't see uh, an elevated launch angle um, in 2022 outside of going to the opposite field. But I mean, in your piece, you know, to the pull side, it's uh, above 12%, uh, up the middle, it's above 23%. Um, and to the opposite field, it's about, uh, you know, 17%. So, um, you know, anything what above 20% with like a 105 exit velocity, which is usually he's turning out fastballs at, got a good chance of leaving that's, the yard. So, that's I mean, going to be good. It's going to be good for your bottom line statistically. And I think, and I didn't really hammer it all that much in the article, but the launch angle tells a big story there and really does, um, you know, sync with the kind of mechanical fixes that we're seeing where uh, he wasn't using his lower half enough last year. That was the issue is that he was getting those pitches on the outer corner. And by the time when he's getting his foot down, his hands would already be moving towards the bat. You know, so he would still rotate, he'd still go through his swing, but because you're not getting that rotational energy from your core, from your hips, from your glutes, which is really what creates power and lift, especially on an uppercut swing, it's really just twisting the top half, getting your hands out there, and you can make contact on it, and you can even make pretty hard contact on it, uh, but your bat path is going to be flat and you're not going to hit the ball in the air. And if you do, you're probably not going to get the most out of it. So, um, you know, bringing those feet in a little bit and just making sure he can turn and burn, as they say, on those pitches, whether it's inside or outside, that's how you end up doubling your career high in homers in roughly the same number of games. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, not forced to swing with a broken wrist. Um, <laughs> that that too, yes. That weirdly too. enough. Good um, Lord. And I know Tony. it's a, a very basic uh, uh, example, but I mean, we even saw it in the home run derby. I mean, all of these guys, when they got gassed, it was very easy for them still to just have a, an a inside elevated fastball and turn and burn and just be able to hit it as hard as they can down the line um, and use that pull side power. And again, the White Sox, what we'll talk about after the break, um, are still bottom of the half uh, or bottom half uh, of major leagues uh, in pulling fly balls and line drives, which is bad, uh, which is why they're a bad baseball team. Uh, let's take a break, though, and then we'll get a little bit more into that. Uh, Want to let everybody know, though, about the CHGO kickoff classic at Cog Hill. August 25th, starting at 9 a.m., a shotgun start. You get 18 holes with a cart, um, an exclusive CHGO and pins and aces polo for all players. There'll be holes, contests, uh, giveaways and prizes, and then lunch, drinks, and ceremony after the round. And if you are a diehard, uh, you do get 20% off this event and all events. Uh, so make sure you are signing up to become a diehard at allchgo.com. We also have on July 26th, about 12 days away, a uh, crosstown uh, uh, now I'm blanking on the thing, uh, but it's basically you get a pregame meetup with us uh, in Oak Forest. Uh, you get a ticket to the game, transportation to uh, Guaranteed Rate Field and back, um, and you get a free uh, shirt uh, or a shirt of your choice of the uh, new Crosstown designs. There's a north side and a south side one. So make sure you are becoming a diehard today. Uh, you get uh, premium written content at LCHGO, a free shirt when you become a member, and again, uh, discounts when you uh, want to come to any of our events like the Crosstown Classic. Uh, event or the um, CHGO kickoff classic, our golf event at Cog Hill. And uh, there is also a members only discord. So sign up today to become a diehard uh, and you know, we will start building and, and keep building this community and uh, make it a, a great fandom uh, for all you out there. Make sure you hit that thumbs up button. If you're hanging out with us, we also want to let you know about our friends over at Goose Island Beer Company. CHGO is supported by Goose Island Beer Company. Uh, all of our events uh, will have Goose Island beer there. So that's always another good reason to come. Uh, whether you're hitting the links with us, whether you're uh, uh, going to uh, the game with 
with us. Uh, there'll be some Goose Island beer there. Of course, Chicago's beer since 1988. Their beer roster includes the Goose Island IPA, the 312 Weed Ale, the Full Pocket Pills, and uh, the uh, Tropical Beer Hug IPA series. They got the Tropical Beer Hug, which is at 9.9% uh, alcohol. They got the Neon, which is at 7%. They got the uh, Hazy IPA at 6.8. Uh, then the Juicy, which I also think is at 6.8. Uh, so you could try the little sampler. Uh, on your Friday. So grab an ultra fresh brewery exclusive beer at Goose Island's original brew house on Clybourne Avenue in Lincoln Park or from their tap room on Fulton Street in Westtown, Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's beer. And then if you are trying to go to a game that's not, you know, July 26, uh, buy your tickets uh, with our friends over at Game Time. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you with killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee. You could stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you'll have um socks are out of town for the next nine straight games uh but hey if you're in atlanta if you're in uh minnesota where else are they playing no idea i haven't even looked at the schedule yeah. yet the, they're, they're gonna get snow. i don't think about it <laughs> i just know the next three games against atlanta are gonna be ugly but if you're in the area where the white Sox are uh, why not pick up some tickets or uh it just means that it's probably a good time to go check out a concert and you could do that with game time again forget planning months in advance game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event so download the game time app Snag the tickets without the stress, create an account, and use code CHGO for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code CHGO for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Um, so, yeah, right now the Sox in pulling balls on a line or a fly, uh, they are, ooh, what, uh, 30th, 29th, 26th. Uh, 27, 26th uh, in the majors. Um, not good. Uh, and that's something that, you know, Chris Johnson, one of the three hitting coaches for the White Sox, uh, really hammered to James Fegan uh, in the offseason. He said, if you're going up there and you're looking for a fastball way and you want to hit a fastball way, you are thinking about nothing other than the fastball way. If you're thinking, okay, this could be a fastball way, but it could be a slider, that's when you're having a little bit of doubt creep into your mind. And that's when you start swinging at those things that are all over the zone. And what we haven't seen from Luis Robert is panic. He is very calm, as you noted in your, your um, piece, but he really seems to be the only one with a calmness at the plate. And you even talked about, you know, the, the breaking though, what his Woba against breaking uh, pitches might be down a little bit, but it's really important that he's crushing those fastballs. And there's plenty of highlights in June and July where hey, guy leaves a slider <laughs> right over the middle of the plate. And Luis Roberts uh, depositing it 420 feet uh, over the fence. So, how do they get this to be team wide? How, how do they get to the point where Andrew Vaughn sees a fastball on the outside of the plate and he's crushing it and with lift and same with Aloy Jimenez. Um, Cause again, you were talking about this um, on the draft show with uh, Tommy and Brett, you know, they have guys with talent guys who should be able to hit homers, but it's really Luis Robert. That's uh, Luis Robert jr. That's the only one that's showing up and doing it. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I wish I had some solutions <laughs> to what what I would actually the White say Sox to them be, yeah. because, like, yeah, right, or else I'd, I'd be the White Sox spinning coach, right? Yeah, but um, no, it's consistent. It's a consistent problem, and I think, you know, for there, there's a lot wrong with the things that Hawk Harrelson said uh, on White Sox broadcasts over the years. But one thing that I think he always had a pretty good feel for was when uh, when he'd say a hitter was in between. 
uh, where he's just, you're not really sure what you're looking for. You're not really sure what your pitch is. You're not really sure what you're sitting on. You're not really sure what your approach is. And that's when you end up, you know, swinging at breaking balls that are landing in the other batter's box, not just once, but on a consistent basis, which is what, you know, at his worst, what Louis Robert Jr. is also doing. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about, about Louis with this breakout too, is that his strikeout rate has also spiked all the way back up to 28%, almost as high as it was uh, his rookie year. He's swinging and missing a lot more more uh but that i don't think speaks to so much as anything like a hole in his swing or a quality of his approach if anything the opposite he knows what he's looking for and when he gets it he is going to crush it right now that's fastballs in the zone you cannot throw him a fastball in the zone and get away with it and like i said in the article the number of pitchers who can get through and at bat and be successful without throwing a fastball in the zone are pretty far in between, pretty far and few between. Uh, and that also sets you up well, where if you're just sitting on something hard in the zone, you can still adjust breaking ball. So you know what, maybe you're still chasing some of those sliders in the dirt, those curveballs in the dirt, but then you get the hanger down the middle, you're not missing it, you know? If you're already looking fastball there, I, I can't, again, I can't speak to exactly what his approach is, but the numbers kind of speak for himself. You know, he's he's killing those hangers. And as far as the other guys go, I mean, you know, with, with Andrew Vaughn specifically, it's something that I wrote about a couple of years ago where I looked at the way that he was hitting the ball hard the other way and the way that he was consistently spraying the ball, it almost gave me kind of, um, you know, Pete Alonzo vibes or, um, you know, kind of short fire hydrant Aaron Judge, you know, to use a very um, sacrilegious comparison there in terms of being like kind of a rare ability to make contact with a lot of pitches and impact them the other way and up the middle. And my hypothesis at that point was that with more experience, you know, he had at that point come straight up to the major leagues, had played 50 games in the minors, none above double A, missed the 2020 season, all that stuff is that, you know, with time, your pitch recognition gets a little bit better and you start getting better at recognizing those inside fastballs, those hanging breaking balls, when you can just fire early and turn on them and deposit them 450 feet into the left foot bleachers. Um, you know, I think of the, the walk-off home run that Vaughn hit to end the 10-game losing streak against Tampa Bay. That's the kind of thing that I was anticipating we were going to see uh, a whole lot more over the last couple of years than we have. Uh, I, I remember similarly about two years ago, I remember reading a Fangraphs article from Ben Clemens about uh, players who were getting the most opposite field power. And Eloy Jimenez was near the top of the list and pretty unique in terms of someone who was really, really good at just smoking ball the other way, smoking it up the middle the other way, but actually wasn't really pulling the ball that much and was when he was pulling the ball, hitting it on the ground way too much. And at the time, you know, after your 2019-2020 season where Eloy really looked like he was on this upward trajectory, he's starting to make adjustments and uh, kind of figure, figure those things out. It just hasn't really happened since then. Aloy still hits the ball on the ground 55% on the time. Uh, Andrew Vaughn still has 60, 65 grade power, but he's just not turning on those pitches and getting to him to the pull side. Uh, and, you know, we're not inside the organization. I'm not in the locker room. I'm not credentialed. I can't ask them what's going on, but it's, uh, it, it is a little baffling to see why, why those adjustments or why they haven't figured out what the necessary adjustments are to make those things happening because the tools are still there. The tools are there as much as they've been over the last two, three years. Now, I don't think the core 
the core of the talent with the exception of maybe uh, I can't speak for Tim Anderson and Yohan Moncada who are kind of on uh, you know slightly different tracks here but in terms of the big boys the the Andrew Bonds the Yasmani Grandals the Eloy Jimenezes who were, we were expecting to be up there hitting you know 30 35 homers a year now at least in the case of the latter two it seems pretty clear why it's not happening at least on a results basis uh, but what the adjustments are to make it happen, like why those aren't happening, why they're not, um, you know, even talking about until pretty recently, like, yeah, we really need to put the ball in the air to the pole side. That's something we've not been doing. We haven't really heard too much of that until even recently. So it's, um, you know, it's the problems haven't changed and the solutions haven't changed either. So the status quo hasn't changed. You know, and right. Luis Robert is really the only one who seems to have been able to, uh, find a way to work through those issues and actually hit his ceiling by uh, maximizing his tools, which Eloy and Vaughn are still not even close to doing. Right. And shout out even, to Derek. Even a good hitting Eloy. Eloy's hitting pretty well this year. And it's still, you know, a fraction of where he could be and where he needs to be if the Sox are going to be a competitive team again next year. So. Yeah. yeah, and you know, hopefully he could stay healthy. I mean, the manager for the first two months still wanted to put him in right field. Um, it's just, you know, great. Um, shout out to Derek for joining us, though. Uh, he said he had to take a break, and, and I understand because, again, uh, I feel like the, the glass is shattering around Pedro Grafal, and he's finally realizing what he got himself into. But you mentioned I was that- told I was told we had to let Jose Abreu walk because there was nothing to do but Eloy let Eloy <laughs> DH. There was no other choice. Eloy was going to take the DH at pass. And look, don't, don't throw Jose Abreu stat line at me right now we know what he looks like through the first two and a half months of the season check back with me in september when he's got 85 rbis and 25 homers and you know andrew vaughn still sitting on a 105 wrc plus i'm i don't know about that. i'm just saying i'm I just saying I, I i feel like and I, I mean this very very respfectfully that jose abreu is washed but that's just me um i i, I felt like that was that Until was august coming hey august maybe. Abreu. you got to give august Abreu a chance remember we make our call right remember when he uh started last august with like three home runs on august 3rd and then didn't hit one until like september 15th and then didn't hit one again until may <laughs> God, uh, they, we, we need a study done on that locker room man gosh well yeah we talked about it yesterday and, and, and chuck was mentioning you know that you know he, he hears from all these veterans that they come in and it's just like what is this locker room and even jose himself i mean like at the astros introductory press conference he said you know these guys are a family and we weren't a family in chicago and you know it really does feel like that it really does feel clicky um you you, you look at the guys that they brought in like moncada anderson grandal like i don't know if those guys bond with with one another and that's you know three of your five there Aloy and Robert seem to be best friends um, but it really doesn't seem like that that friendship that family feeling really spreads throughout the team and I, I mean I think there's obviously bad culture but they they're they're running into a brick wall and having bad culture you know like, they're they're best friends until it comes time to figure out who's uh, who gets to call for a fly ball in the outfield right <laughs> you know, then, then things this- get a little a little more sketchy and it's you know not to not to beat the uh, beat the tone of the russo horse a, a little bit too much more but i just keep thinking about how uh, in those early days in the 2019 season, which is when we first saw, of course, like Lucas Giolito start to pop, uh, Yoan Moncada was first was first starting to pop, and uh, the, some of the upper level guys were starting from from those rebuild trades were starting to make their way uh, into into the majors and actually start to perform, and they were winning a little bit early earlier in the season. What and what did they say? Ricky's boys don't quit, and 
I'm not a Rick Renteria fan fan by any means, but I'm also a believer that, you know, a manager's number one job in baseball, more so than any other sport, is to be a people manager. You know, a good manager um, on his own in terms of actual managerial decisions uh, might win or lose you, in my view, an extra two, three, four games a year tops. It's, it's not like basketball will a full scheme and the fit of the players within the scheme and their performance within that scheme is like really, really interchangeable and dependent on who, who's running it. Not so much the case in baseball. And it's, I don't want to blame, put all the blame on Tony La Russa, Of course, you know, the players be at this point, it's been, it's been half a year now. They bear a lot of responsibility too. Uh, but if you want to kind of draw a line where that 2019 team and that team those guys were fun. They looked like they were having fun. You know, you look at the Seattle Mariners here or like the Baltimore Orioles of this year, kind of young and up and coming teams that, uh, that really had, you know, that suffered a few years of bad losing uh, before figuring they're having fun a great time. And that's what the White Sox were doing in 2019, 2020. And I'm not sure what happened between then and 2021, 2022, when you really had, for the most part, the same guys in the clubhouse there, uh, and it just kind of, it just kind of evaporated. And when you get that environment, guys don't break themselves out of slumps; they just sink further deeply into them. You don't go on runs; you go on a couple losing streaks, and 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 that's that. So, yeah, it, it just feels it feels a little bit broken in a way that's hard to say as an outsider. Um, but when you got guys who just consistently don't fix their own slumps and are not getting the help they need to fix their slumps. And uh, it's a constant downward slide and it's hard to say at what point internally that comes from, but it's a, it seems pretty clear that it's just an internal mess. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And two, like, I mean, you think about the culture and when it was built in 2019 and 2020, that was a culture built around a 72 and 89 team. And then a team that absolutely just started falling, like the wheels started falling off with, of them in 2020, uh, 2020, um, right. You know, they were the best team in the, the AL and then that all started to fall around them. And uh, thankfully they made it into the playoffs, but couldn't even advance. And then in 2021, right. We see the hot start, but um, once it stopped being about winning, I, I don't think there was any culture besides, Hey, we like winning games, but we're, we're not enough to do that uh and adjust and and that's just been frustrating but uh, you brought up Aloy and you know not really sure what they could do with him but I mean again you mentioned him you know not being able to pull the ball in the air um this year's opposite launch angle 21.2 uh his pull launch angle negative 0.4 but but the ISOs are about the same which is hilarious to me, which is probably because he's just pulling every homer. Um, so when he gets a homer, it's, it's probably that, but it's about 350 uh, about each. So like, it's not like it's a terrible ISO, you know, being pulling and having a, a 350 ISO, but it should be higher. And, and that's the thing too, is like, he has always had the craziest, oddest stance. And I do wonder if he cleaned it up, maybe stood a little bit more upright and just leaned back a little bit more. If he simplified a stance, maybe he would be able to have, you know, similar adjustments to Robert where that big long bat is going to be able to get in front of balls a little bit more because it does seem like his bat lags. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that speaks perfectly to what I said a moment ago, how Eloy has been playing well. He's one of the the hitters on this team this year that you can probably complain the least about. Uh, But the fact that he's got, a 350 ISO while hitting the ball on the ground 
enough that his launch angle on those balls is negative just tells you that there is so much more there to be unlocked and you know he's under contract for a few or more years and and that those kind of things would have been understandable and you could have dealt with them in 2019 2020 maybe even 2021 but the entire the contention window if we can even call it that anymore you know is predicated by the time that by on the fact that by this time by 2022 2023 you've learned to tap into that pull side power you know and i pitching mechanics are far more my forte than than hitting mechanics i'll have to defer to my my good friend at Fangraphs, SD Rivera, who gave me the drop for sure on uh, on a lot of this um, Luis Roberts stuff on what some of the potential adjustments he he might need to make. But he kind of, I mean, he more than anybody else is is probably closest comparable to, to Giancarlo Stanton in terms of just um, maybe the best thing to do is really simplify the movements to the point where you, you're a huge human being. You're a gigantic dude with incredible amounts of raw strength. Just cut out all of the noise except the boom. Right. Boom, well, make contact. Get a lot of backspin on the ball and send it out. You know, that's um, if there's a model to follow there, maybe that's it. But he's so, he's always been so unorthodox in his swing and his batting stance. Uh, it's one of those things where it's it's so unorthodox to begin with that I don't know if there's an orthodox fix to it. You know what I mean? That's true. I mean, I just I mean, if you're able to hit the ball as hard as he is, it's just like I I don't know. It's just <laughs> I don't know. I mean, baseball is hard. I'm not playing in the major league, so I'm not gonna it's, like it's an <laughs> easy it's, it's an easy fix. But also, if you made it there, I think you have the talent to make those adjustments. That's why it's like. I have the fear. We'll talk about this after the break. I have a fear if they do trade, and this is probably why they're untouchable. If they do trade a Vaughn or a Loy Jimenez, a different organization would be able to unlock them uh, because, again, the, the talent seems to be there. Uh, we'll talk about that uh, after the break. Want to let everybody know, though, about our friends over at ComEd. Usually I have Herb and Vinny to, to you know, talk through this with me but i'll just i'll give it to you straight all right the combat energy efficiency program is committed to helping families and businesses in the communities they serve helping manage energy usage and lower lower energy bills now into the future they do this through a wide variety of incentives on lighting and other efficiency upgrades to commercial industrial and public sector customers of all sizes across the territory and they also offer free facility assessments that can help find energy saving opportunities like for hvac system commercial kitchen equipment or industrial process They'll send out an authorized engineer. How does that work, Sean? Oh, look at you, Greg. An authorized engineer will work with you to develop a detailed assessment plan specific to your goals and needs. And these can be done in person or virtually and last approximately two hours. And then within three to four weeks, customers will receive a report detailing energy efficiency projects that they could start working on immediately. Each recommendation will include estimated energy savings, cost savings, project costs, potential incentives, and simple payback. If you own a business, do not wait. Get started saving money and energy today for energy saving tips, lighting incentives, or to schedule your free to schedule your free facility assessment, go to comment.com slash powering biz. That's B-I-Z. Did you say comment.com slash powering biz? Yes, and I'm not in the StreamYard screen, so it, it, you just sound like the voice of God. I'm just staring at these texts. So I'm glad, I'm glad that the voice of God came in to tell you, comment.com slash poweringbiz. Uh, also, I want to let you know about FOCO. Uh, we're not in the set right now, but they donated some fantastic bobbleheads to our uh, set to, to fill it out to make it feel more 
uh, fan like uh, so go give them some love at foco foco.com or click the link in the description below you can get lost on their website perusing through all of the bobbleheads they have but you can get fit in the best sports gear around like hoodies shoes signs everything in between like aloha shirts straw hats polos bags everything you need for a game so check out foco.com foco or click the link in the description below and for all non-presale items use the promo code chgo for 10% off. That is foco.com, F-O-C-O, or click the link in the description below. For all non-presale items, use promo code CHGO for 10% off. Um, there was a moment in your hour and 45-minute live stream with uh, Tommy and Brett uh, that made me want to throw up. Uh, Tommy, good old Tommy, mentioned that Andrew Vaughn gives him David Ortiz vibes. <laughs> Minnesota David Ortiz vibes. And, and I just have a feeling that there is something not unlocked by Andrew Vaughn. And you mentioned the, the sprayingness of Vaughn. And this is on the right, his 2023 uh, spray chart. Um, and you can see a lot of blue and red fly balls and line drives uh, to the entire field. However, uh, all but two of his home runs are to the pull side. Isn't that weird, Zach? Or, um, Malachi. Uh, and then... Uh, Ortiz, you could see all of his homers in Minnesota in 2002, the year before he came over to Boston, um, all of his homers uh, to the pole side, except for two. But you see a ton of fly balls, uh, especially on that left side uh, where he is just late. So is there a, a David Ortiz uh, lingering in uh, Andrew Vaughn here, uh, Malachi? Oh, man. Um, that. Oh, am I so muted? No, you're good. I hear you. Uh, yeah, yeah. That that was a pretty depressing comp right there because there is like the the power is there, and that's the worst case scenario of like, okay, you see him go to another team and and instantly turn it on, which feels like it's going to happen with every single one of these core guys that goes anywhere else. Because I mean, even Jake Diekman has been lights out since he he got you know went into the you know the stable of dudes throwing a gazillion miles an hour, whatever Kevin Cash wants to call him over there. Um, I would throw a little bit of water on those comparisons, maybe just because I think part of the thing with Ortiz was just that the Twins were dumb in not. You know, we we value different things uh, now that we do that. At that time, the Twins were an organization that had Joe Maurer coming up. They had Justin Morneau coming up. Uh, Ortiz was a little bit redundant, and we don't value, you know, a, what we we don't value a 125 WRC plus the same way that we used to. And that's what Ortiz was his last year as a Twin. He wasn't a bad hitter, and. Uh, Vaughn is, I think the power is there. I mean, he's got still, I he's got some swing issues now, uh, but he's got great back control with a guy with that much power and his max exit velos are as high as anybody else out there. But just like Aloy, he hits the ball on the ground too much. And I don't know if that's so much of an approach issue or, um, he's developed holes in his swing that he didn't have before, uh, so it's not, I don't think it's quite as great of a one-to-one -one where in the sense that maybe we think we do have a David Ortiz on our hands that we're just waiting to unlock if we can fix these new things. Um, that being said, like the issues are so clear. If you get Andrew Vaughn to hit the ball in the air 10% more of the time, or rather hit the ball on the ground 10% or less of the time uh, than he is now, he's going to be a star. I, I think I said in, in the Southside Sacks um, Slack the other day when I think it was Heyman reported uh, Vaughn alongside uh, Cease, Robert, 
Jr. and Eloy as the four quote unquote untouchables in in trade negotiations, uh, to which there's a little bit of confusion there. But I'm I'm fully convinced, as much as anybody else in this org, that if you let Andrew Vaughn go somewhere else, he's got a couple forty home run seasons in there. You know, <laughs> I mean, the the pull side power is just too too great, and uh, it's. It is gross to think about because, look, we're already on year three of uh, service time for him. He's going to be eligible for arbitration this coming offseason. And, uh, you know, we're getting to a point now where (laughs) it's it's kind of put up or shut up on both sides. And if we're still looking at a guy a year or two from now who – is still hitting the ball on the ground 45% of the time, is still only pulling the ball. Um, I don't have the number in front of me, but, you know, hitting the ball opposite field along a lot more than he should. We're starting to get into non-tender territory for a first baseman, and, and that's just a really, really bad outcome. They that there's Because there's going to be another team that's going to snap him up, a smart team like the Dodgers, a smart team like the Yankees, who's going to say, we got you, this is what you need to do. So is it... Short short answer, you know, David Ortiz, bit of a edge case, you might say. You know, guys who hit like that are few and far between. But um, maybe, maybe even a Jose Bautista might be the better combinant comp. You know, if we're being, uh, if we're not trying to be hyperbolic here, a guy who just got to get to the right org, who's going to have you give you the right cue. Because it's one thing to say. The reason I bring up Bautista specifically, and feel free to cut me off if you got to go elsewhere, but the reason that Bautista comes to mind here is that he was a guy who always had that raw pop, but he was trying, you know, similar to J.D. Martinez in his famous breakout, and Justin Turner was trying to kind of hit the ball, hit the ball hard up the middle the other way, not necessarily swinging as hard as you can. And uh, he got to Toronto, and somebody just told him, just swing way earlier than you think you have to. Just however early, this is from a Sports Illustrated article in like 2011 that I still remember clear as day. Just say, hey, however early you think you need to swing to make contact with the pitch, just do it a little bit earlier. And the result was, because he's a big, strong dude, he started catching the ball out in front, you know, and actually pulling the ball in the air. And boom, he had the most random 50 homer season you ever 55 homer season you could have seen coming in the 2010s uh and cues are so important from a coaching standpoint and it's really easy for us to see here sit here and say dude just hit the ball in the air more you know right. two weeks ago there was a two or three weeks ago there was a quote from Aloy, i think where they had like i don't know like targets on the top of the wall or something like that making it seem like they just had figured out that you know hitting the ball in the air was well, was the idea the the but, the uh what is it? What's it called? I'm blanking on the word. The thing that they're doing is basically in front of the uh, batting practice. I can't even think of the term. Right. Batting they practice, wall pitcher, up. They wall yeah, they, up. the wall up to just try to elevate. So, I mean, like, yes, I, I don't know. I mean, make like, you elevate. And it's like I, like I said to you yesterday, the White Sox hitting philosophy has entered 2015. Uh, it's great <laughs> to see. But in terms of making And it took them until May to do it. It wasn't like something they were doing in spring training. Right, right. And, you know, a full eight months after we hear the words, you know, ball go far, team go far. <laughs> it's like, was, was ball go far where we, did we mean just like smoking line drive, like ground balls that we're going to carry to the warning track? Is that ball go far? I, I, I don't know. But, um, you know, cues, the C-U-E uh, is, is the word that I think is really, really critical from a coaching standpoint that you don't necessarily hear a lot um, off of the field because it's really easy for us to sit here and say like, dude, 
just put the ball in the air more, just pull the ball more, just attack those inside fastballs. Um, but of course, when you're taking, you know, 10,000 swings a year, hundreds of days in the cage, you're in a groove, your mechanics are what they are. Making adjustments is hard. And the things that coaches say to players to get them to make those adjustments can be really tricky because you know you can actually try to do something and think you're trying to do something with your body when you're swinging and you're actually not doing it and you have to think of it a certain way if jose bautista had gone up there and said okay i'm just going to try to pull the ball as hard as i can um, or pull the ball in the air that probably wouldn't have worked someone had to frame it to him in a way saying hey just swing a little bit earlier mm-hmm. and boom suddenly it works and uh it's clear i think that the, the combination of the uh, lack of inspiring commentary from the string of hitting coaches the team has gone through in recent years, um, as well as the fact that, again, guys like Giolito, Robert, you know, see some of the best players on the team, the guys who are making the biggest leaps seem to kind of chronically be getting uh, outside input to make those adjustments. You have to find a way to frame it to players in a certain way that's going to make it make sense within with the way they move their bodies with the way that they swing you know yeah um, i mean uh, I, I was thinking and, back and they're to just not doing was... that they're clearly just not doing that now, i don't know I... how to make them do that beyond a full regime change because i don't think paid it seems like pedro griffol is not the type of guy and as much as he might have helped sal perez doesn't seem like he's the type of guy who's going to get it done either yeah and then two like even just building off of that like it's how you frame it um i was watching dodgers and yankees and uh, they were talking about how freddie freeman got jason hayward to come over to the dodgers and just basically saying like hey they'll they'll just make it easy for you to understand the dodgers win a lot of baseball games it's almost like they Mm -hmm. should hire somebody from the dodgers i don't know um the giants maybe the giant i don't know it seems like there's teams that are good uh, and the white Sox Mm -hmm. don't want to listen to any of that um, because that's that, that makes too much sense um but um even sam in the chat saying you wish when i brought up the uh, uh vaughn and ortiz comment obviously yes I, I do wish but like i do think there is some thing there because he is pulling the ball more uh five uh 5.5 in his rookie year 6.2 percent, and then seven percent this year um the iso has increased every single year and the launch angles increased 0. 0.7 1.8 5.8 still not good enough um an average distance of like 142 um you want that to to obviously increase um but like even Vaughn, like I mean, he's he's pulling up the middle and 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 uh, less away. But like even now, the one thing that's kind of cratering his value is um, when he is going opposite field, he's not hitting it as hard and he's hitting it more in the air. Uh, you know, average exit velocity around like eighty nine uh, in the first two years, um, and like average launch angle around like what twenty percent, um, and now it's eighty five point seven for the average exit velocity, and then like twenty seven point four uh, for the launch angle. So it still seems like he's trying to figure out like how to adjust his swing to you know pull the ball more but also not be completely you know in uh in in uh incapable of you know flapping the other way so um yeah i i don't know he's a he's an interesting piece and obviously um we want the best for all these players because it would make watching white Sox baseball more fun um hunter asked though uh no update on luis uh, robert's condition i know that they are still waiting for mri mris but nothing from the team or any beat writer yet um i think clubhouse opens like 
maybe like three hours before the game. So you might start hearing stuff around three. Um, but he said he was looking into the Sox schedule for the next few weeks, um, and they might not even win five games. Uh, three games at Atlanta, three games at the Mets, three games at Minnesota, two games against the Cubs, uh, and then four against Cleveland um, in, in Chicago. Uh, what do you make of this team before the deadline? I and mean, we were talking about a team that uh, might rival 2017 uh, being like 67 and 95. Man. Um, I do want to say though, you know, I'm not, I'm not regarding this uh, next couple of series here. I know they've got Kopech lined up to go against his uh, Strider. Is that who they're going with their, uh, yes. with Atlanta? You know, or I think uh, maybe it's uh, what's it called? I think Strider Saturday. I think it's Morton okay. Kopech and then Cease Strider maybe. Hey, look, I'm not, I'm not much of a betting man. I do see the draft Kings up in the top corner there. So I will say, uh, just take a look at uh, some of Michael Kopech's velocity numbers when he gets a little bit of extra rest. <laughs> and uh, another thing with, again, and this kind of plays into the conversation actually about getting better and getting, um, you know, identifying the team, being able to identify problems with players and then actually get them to fix them is that there's a pretty clear pattern of Michael Kopech is not a pitcher who can go every five days and maintain his stuff, you know, he came out of the all-star break last year with 10 days rest, throwing, throwing, throwing 97 miles an hour and then threw him every five days until he broke. You know, he had, he had that great two or three, three, four start stretch against the AL central earlier, earlier this year, the first two, which I believe were on six days rest goes every five days, the rest of the way. And he shut down by the all-star break. There's uh, just not, it doesn't seem like there is a much of a cognizance on the part of the White Sox front office um, as to what those what those deals are, what the issues are with the players. But to uh, to your point about the trade deadline, man, I I don't know. The thing is, it really depends on how how hot is Rick Hahn's seat actually, because if this is any other organization, any other organization in the league, except for maybe the Rockies, who might be the only one that is like top to bottom dumber than than the White Sox, right? Um, you say, okay, like it's very clear that Rick's tenure is coming to its end. He had his chances and they're done, you know, so maybe you trade Giolito, um, get what you can out of him, but you're not letting him handle a teardown. Uh, at the same time, with Giolito, even now, you've got this kind of question of you've got the qualifying offer in hand, which, as we learned a couple of years ago, is not, not so much of a sure thing on a great pitcher as you might think it is. Uh, but I don't I don't foresee if this is the question. I don't foresee any of the major moves that are kind of being thrown out there. Trade Dylan Cease with two and a half years left of control. Sell low on Tim Anderson with his option. Uh, I I don't see any of those things happening simply because the or even you know Eloy Jimenez and you know Luis Roberts probably the only guy on there he could really consider uh, untouchable. The thing they got going for him is that Giolito is the best pitcher on the market, and then they have the qualifying offer in hand, which gives them a little bit more leverage than usual. Uh, as Sam, to answer your question in the comments, I'm looking for someone like uh, maybe an Andy Pajes, a major league, major league ready uh, right fielder, who I think is probably fifth or sixth in their system. And uh, the thing you got to understand when also you know putting together these trade packages is that cardinal rankings within organizations and even within top 100 lists uh, don't mean 
much of anything. Uh, I, I think I, I've seen a name like uh, Dalton Russian getting thrown around simply because he's technically behind Diego Cartaya on their prospect list, who is their number one catcher. But um, there's a very good, a very good chance that Cartaya is actually below rushing uh, on their, you know, internal timeline. Now they've got Will Smith. They've got one of the, uh, best catchers, if not the best offensive catcher in the game, who's probably going to be around long-term. Uh, I might look for one of those guys. I think they'd probably be more likely inclined to deal Cartaya. Um, if you can package Giolito with somebody like a Kendall Graveman, uh, I would say Joe Kelly, if there weren't reports that Kelly actually wanted to resign with the Dodgers back in 2022 and they did not want him back. So Take, take that as you will. Um, but I'm looking for someone like Pajes. I'm looking for someone like Michael Bush, maybe, who doesn't really have a position on the infield, but just straight up rakes. Um, in a perfect world, you know, maybe they get a bidding war going with Baltimore. This is the, the benefit of having that qualifying offer in hand while also him being the best pitcher on the market. Uh, the Orioles have a few, quite a few compelling prospects that they could offer. Maybe maybe you get the Dodgers desperate enough to throw Gavin Lux their way, who they were, you know, is a local kid from Wisconsin who the Sox were in on to some degree in his draft year. Um, however, I'm not holding my breath for someone who's going to show up on, you know, the top 30, top 50 of the top 100 prospect list simply because those guys don't just get moved for rentals anymore. Um, I think you're probably looking at somebody who's going to fit in that, five to eight slot on a good team's prospect list that probably jumps up to maybe the, <clears throat> maybe the second or third best prospect in the white Sox system, um, which is not a bad thing. You know, well, if you can get a Heston Kierstad from, from Baltimore, he's probably, he's probably your starting, right. I mean, he's, you know, maybe 60, 70 on the overall list, but he's your starting right fielder next year. And uh, I, I think the overall philosophy you have to think about is that as much as, this year has been a disaster as much as the last two years have been disasters. This is not a team that's going to tear it down, whether we like it or not. Um, they've only got 150 million on the books next year. Only 110 of that counts for the luxury tax. Uh, you bring in a, you know, if in a perfect world, you can bring in some kind of competent executive uh, who is, you know, not in the current front office. There's a lot there to retool and there's a possibility that they could create a competitive roster. So while rentals typically in the past have gone for kind of smatterings of low level lottery tickets, uh, for the most part, you don't see a lot of top 100 guys near the big leagues moving in those deals. This might be an exception where you could get one, depending on whether you package him with someone like Kendall Graveman or, um, um, I don't know, insert reliever, Keenan Middleton, you know, even the closer of the future, is, Gregory Santos. Yes. Oh gosh. We, we have a whole other podcast to do on our guy, Gregory Santos. Well, don't we? Hey, <laughs> I mean, they got him for nothing. He's, <clears throat> he's cheap. He's inexpensive and he's good. I mean, yeah, but, you know, but then I mean, the problem is that that leaves a hole for which, which Rick Hahn can then fill with another $40 million reliever. And we don't think want that either, do we? <laughs> I, hey, I, I don't know. I mean, I would hope that seeing Keenan Middleton, seeing uh, Reynaldo Lopez, Jimmy Lambert, uh, and even Groot Santos, uh, you know, I mean, they've been able to pick the bottom of the barrel and, and get guys that can, that can be decent arms. I mean, you know, obviously hmm. Reynaldo and Jimmy have kind of fallen off a bit, but I, I, I think it's, I, I think that, you know, they, which, they just need to stop signing people from the bullpen yeah, yeah, and just let yes. cats cook. Yeah. I mean, that's, well, that's what's so baffling from day one about, uh, about those, um, you know, Graveman and um, Kelly deals in particular. I think you can always justify paying 15 paying market rate for 
who is a clear-cut top two or three closer in the game. I think the Hendricks deal from a value perspective was good. I think you do it again 10 times out of 10. Um, you don't need to spend, you know, commit $50 million, $40 million to set up men when that is the one position, the one singular, not two, not three, one position in the organization that historically they've actually been pretty good at developing internally. I mean, a large part of that early 2020 run before they kind of fell off the table there was driven by the fact that Cody Hoyer and Matt Foster, and then later on Garrett Crochet came out of absolute nowhere to be dominant for a couple months. And uh, even going back to guys like Evan Marshall, you know, there's, uh, you know, I hate, hate to speak of him now because of the, the pretty horrific allegations against him, but it's not a surprise that Jimmy Lambert, Jimmy Lambert, uh, Jimmy Cordero, you know, went to, uh, the Yankees and and then and then immediately popped off because the Sox got him some nice stuff. They just didn't know how to use it. You know, Aaron Bummer was supposed to be a nobody. Uh, they they've done that before. They've done that before. So that's what what doesn't make sense. So so you're kind of selling me on that. You can you could probably throw a few guy a few of those guys in there to uh, sweeten the pot on a deal if it really gets you a solid prospect back. But to to bring it back full circle, if they do trade Giolito, which at this point seems like a Relative certainty, they will. I'm not going to close the door on them riding it out, trying to renegotiate, maybe give the qualifying offer and take that draft pick. Uh, that, that's not a door that's closed. Um, but they're going to try to compete next year, and it's not going to be someone who's in single A. It's going to be somebody who's in double A or higher, probably an outfielder, um, maybe a pitcher, someone like Gavin Stone, if you're looking at the Dodgers specifically. Um, but those are the kind of guys you're looking at. If look, if there is a year to make this deal, it's probably this one. It's a seller's market with a lot of teams who have a lot of prospects. So uh, I, I just wish we had somebody else handling the negotiations because I'm having a lot of fun and out of the park right now with uh, <laughs> with those uh, with those those deadline deals. Yeah, and it'll be fun just to be able to react and, and see uh, what you know really comes out of of this this trade deadline. Hopefully, Rick Hahn doesn't screw it up, but there's obviously the possibility that we know uh, he absolutely can. Um, I do want to bring up to just you mentioned uh, the Kierstad uh, thing. I mean, I think that would be a huge, huge ad for the Sox. I would be shocked if the Orioles did move on from him, especially with him being uh, near AAA. I guess he might be a, a future first baseman. I know he's playing some first base, uh, but I mean, I think Kierstad would be a huge get. And then you just see now baseball. America having uh, Colson and Noah Schultz both in their top 50. Uh, if they were able to add Kierstead, I mean, that's like three top 70 players um, right there, uh, which I mean, is I know not great, uh, not like, you know, top of baseball because the Orioles have like eight top 100 guys, but it's mm -hmm. something. I mean, it's, you know, the White Sox uh, really, really bare after they called all of those prospects up like Vaughn. Um, so now it seems like they're they're having some success with Mike Shirley you, in the draft. So um, you mean there, you mean there wasn't? there wasn't a sustainable pipeline of talent there there wasn't there still <laughs> there isn't <laughs> the jury's out on those mike shirley drafts i'll give you that for sure but uh i mean hey i, I think we do have possibly a best case scenario for for a giolito market this year where you have the dodgers and the orioles probably the two most loaded farm systems in the game perpetually uh who have a great need for him the dod or the orioles in particular it's not just kirstad you know kobe mayo it's probably a top 30 prospect in baseball right now. And he's probably off the table for a Giolito deal. But what that means is that you got guys like Kierstad and uh, Colton Kowser is right there with them in AAA as someone who uh, is probably going to be an impact bat in the corner outfield where they've already got Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes who are playing very well and don't seem to be going, uh, going anywhere soon. So 
you know, you get you get a Dodgers, Orioles, maybe even Cincinnati, throw those guys in there. There's a lot of teams that could love Lucas Giolito and you know, it is Rick Hahn handling things, but I might be surprised at the kind of at the kind of haul they could get for him in this particular market. So that's one thing that's uh keeping me afloat amongst the the TVD in the uh the pitching in the pitching lineup right now. Hey, and two, I I didn't get to bring this point up yesterday. I mean Marco pa- uh Pat, pa, uh, Marco Patty has had such a great success getting some of these uh, names, these international names. I mean, you know, Fernando Tatis was an international prospect. Like, hopefully the White Sox could maybe get some of these overlooked international prospects that have been signed to systems, and maybe that's like the piece of a Lance Lynn. Like, maybe they do get some international lotteries, uh, 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 you know, uh, players here, and, and we'll see if those guys can can flourish and bl- blossom in the stock system. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like Giolito is the piece, and I'm, I'm for getting as much depth as possible, even if that depth is just 40 man depth because the Sox don't even have a lot of that. Um, that's going to do it though. Um, thank you so much, uh, Malachi, for joining us. I, I really appreciate it. You could read their work over at uh, baseball perspectives, Southside Sox and pinstripe alley. And obviously uh, go check out their piece about Luis Robert jr. And the adjustments that he has made um, on, you know, closing up that stance and being able to now demolish outside fastballs but uh really appreciate we finally got to be able to do this I chat know, it's fun. It's about fun. the Sox. so uh, <laughs> thank you so much for your time and uh that's gonna do it for the chgo white Sox podcast thank you to everybody for watching make sure you're hitting that thumbs up button uh you can follow me on twitter at sean underscore w underscore anderson you can follow the show on twitter at chgo underscore white Sox. thank you to greg braggs for producing the show we will talk to you on sunday see you then bye